Historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. My name is Itai Tenenbaum. I am both an Israeli and an American. Born in Tel Aviv, moved to the United States at the age of 11, and lived in the Washington, D.C. area. At 18, I returned to Israel, served in the Israeli Defense Forces mainly as a tank commander. I participated in the first Lebanon war in the 1980s and for years inside Gaza in my month-a-year reserve duty. I run boutique tours to Israel and, of course, this podcast, Inside Israel. Israel knows, and all military experts agree, that the most important component of eliminating Hamas's power involves taking one road situated on the border between Gaza and Egypt. It is called the Philadelphia Road. This is more important than even taking out the tunnels inside Gaza. You see, under this road is a major thoroughfare for smuggling anything and everything. Experts speak of hundreds of tunnels under the Philadelphia Road. As far as Israel is concerned, retaking control of the border area would be a strategic blow to Hamas. This would allow Israel to close the Hamas tunnels in the area, limit the flow of major armaments, and prevent the terrorists from escaping the Gaza Strip. So why hasn't it happened yet? Why is Israel hesitating? To answer this, let's take a closer look. So the first thing I'll tell you is that the name Philadelphia is short for Philadelphia. But it was an arbitrary name that appeared on the Israeli Defense Forces code maps. It is meaningless and not related to the city of Philadelphia. As a side note, there are plenty of places in the Middle East named Philadelphia, the ancient Greek word for brotherly love. Continuing the side note, the historian and me can't resist, ancient Philadelphia can be traced to Persia or Turkey or even Amman, Jordan. But back to reality. The Philadelphia Road or the Philadelphia Road runs from Kerem Shalom, an Israeli community, on the Israeli border, northwest to the Mediterranean Sea. So the road runs on a northwestern angle. Egypt is to the southwest of the road and Gaza is to the northeast of the road. When I say road, don't think highway. In some parts of the width is, the width of the road is no more than a lane and a half. It runs roughly 15 kilometers or just under 10 miles. If you travel the road, at about halfway lies the city of Rafiach, known in English as Rafa. The soft sandy soil throughout the area and on which the road was paved makes the task of digging tunnels under it particularly easy. So let's talk about the construction of the road. The construction road came about as a result of the Israeli-Egyptian peace agreement implemented in the late 1970s, early 1980s, and that's when Israel made a full withdrawal from the Sinai Desert, which Israel took in the 1967 Six-Day War. The border of the Sinai and the Gaza Strip were determined by an older border marking made by the Ottoman Empire and the British in 1906. The Egyptians insisted on this border marking without regard to the city of Rafiach, Rafa that was on both sides of the border. And so it was. This meant that part of the city of Rafa, about 20%, stayed in Egypt and the rest in Gaza under Israeli control. The construction of the road began in January of 1982 and finished in April of 1983. To build the road, eminent domain was declared, a couple hundred households were evacuated and knocked down, and the residents received alternative housing. Four fences were built and electronic systems were put in place. Egypt patrolled on their side and Israel patrolled on its side. But very soon attempts were made to infiltrate the fence. Residents from both sides of the border would throw supplies and products over the fence. 
Now, at this point, I'd like to tell you about three matters of context. One is about the city of Rafiah, Rafa. The second is about the Hamas mafia leaders that ran Rafa and the smuggling. And the third is Israel's disengagement for the Rafa crossing and the Philadelphia Road as a result of the disengagement from Gaza in general. So let's start with Rafa, again, Rafiach. And let me be blunt. The city of Rafiach was almost irrelevant for many years. In 1948, when Israel was established, only about 600 people lived in the city of Rafiach. It was a sandy desert area with some minor farming. It started to become more relevant with the establishment of the border crossing between Egypt and Israel. But it became very relevant and a lifeline for Gaza and Hamas only after Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip in 2005 and Hamas took over a couple of years later. The city of Rafah is of utmost importance to Hamas. It is the main artery of smuggling anything and everything, as I said before, and hence also a main economic hub. Just understand, until the mid-2000s, that's about 2006 or 2007, the unemployment rate among the residents of Rafiach, Rafa, was about 60%. After the Hamas takeover and the building of major smuggling tunnels, unemployment dropped to 30%. Now that's still high, but not so high for the Arab Middle East. From 2008, Rafa became a hub of employment for many Gaza residents looking to make a living. The Gazans flocked to Rafa in search of employment. They became the diggers of tunnels and participated in a smuggling trade. Many merchants in the Gaza Strip also moved the center of the activity to Rafa. Thousands of families in the Gaza Strip benefited from the tunnel economy, again in Rafa. This included not only the family members of the ordinary workers, but also the wealthy merchants and other businessmen in the Gaza Strip. The markets in Rafa became full of many products, mostly Egyptians, and many residents in the Gaza Strip used to go there to shop for their needs. But the prosperity of the tunnels in Rafa was an attraction not only for the Gazans, but also for Egyptians on the other side of the border. At that time, the air press was full of stories about young Egyptians from poor villages who left their villages in the Delta area and moved to work in the tunnel industry. The tunnel industry offered the poor Egyptians a high salary compared to the Egyptian salaries. In addition, the activity in smuggling tunnels in Rafah also provided great income for the members of the Bedouin tribes in the Sinai Peninsula. Get this, the Bedouin tribe leaders came out publicly stating their opposition to the opening of the above-ground opening of the Rafah crossing because it would disturb the usage of their tunnels, of the tunnels. In other words, they'll lose money, a lot of money. So now I come to my second piece of context. Who ran Rafa? All the Rafa goodness, and I am being sarcastic, of course, was led for many years by the Hamas commander of their southern brigade named Ra'ad el-Attar. El-Attar was a senior member of the Hamas Azadin al-Qassam terrorist elite brigade. He was on Israel's most wanted list, as many Israelis were killed by his terror activities. El-Attar was also one of the senior Hamas members, that was responsible for the abduction of the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit in 2006. Over the years, El Atar became the undisputed boss of the Rafa tunnels, and thus of Rafa as a whole. He was actually responsible for bringing in all the equipment and materials that were required for Hamas to build up its military power over the years. El Atar was wanted not only by Israel. Egypt also wanted him. Egypt attempted to bring him for an investigation under the suspicion that he is the one who allowed ISIS terrorists to train in Gaza, then go out through the tunnels and fight Egyptian forces in the Sinai Desert. This was in the name of the common goal of Hamas and ISIS 
the creation of a caliphate induced by a Muslim Brotherhood ideology. The Egyptian intelligence demand of the Hamas leadership to question Al-Attar were denied over and over again. In 2014, Israel is finally able to locate this major terrorist. Al-Attar met his destiny when a missile fired from an Israeli fighter jet hit the house he was hiding in. His death was a setback for Hamas, but didn't stop them from continuing their activity in Rafah. So my third piece of context is about Israel's disengagement. From 1983 and until Israel withdrew from the Gaza, the Israeli Defense Forces patrolled the Philadelphia Road. It was not smooth or safe. Many Gazan houses and small alleys touched the road. In May 2004, five soldiers were killed in the explosion of an armored personnel carrier. In the APC, the armored personnel carrier, was one ton of explosives. The APC was hit by an RPG missile, fired at it from one of the nearby alleys. And as a result, the explosives it was carrying were detonated. The Islamic Jihad accepted responsibility for the incident. Not much was left of anything or anyone. Israel forever remembers seeing soldiers on their hands and knees scanning the roads for body parts and human tissue. It was coined in Israel in terminology as a son hanagbashim, or in English, the APC tragedy. In 2005, the Israeli government, led by Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, decided to completely withdraw from Gaza and enable the Palestinian Authority to run the Gaza Strip on their own. Israel did not trust the Palestinian Authority not to enable smuggling, and so turned to the Egyptians. On September 12, 2005, the Israeli Defense Forces withdrew from the Philadelphia Road as part of the disengagement plan. The control over the border was transferred to the hands of the Egyptians. The Philadelphia Road Agreement with Egypt was signed two weeks prior on August 28, 2005. By Israeli law, the Israeli government was required to approve the agreement for the deployment of soldiers of Egyptian border guard to the border. This was required since it was a change from the previous agreement with the Egyptians noted in the Egypt-Israel Peace Agreement. The new agreement stipulated that Egypt will work to prevent terrorism, smuggling, and infiltration along the border between Sinai and the Gaza Strip. The agreement further stipulated that the Egyptian force will be reinforced by four naval patrol ships that will work to prevent smuggling from the sea. Also, patrols will be conducted from the air in eight unarmed helicopters. According to the agreement, the Egyptian force will include a headquarters and a four companies with 750 soldiers. In the Middle East, an agreement is one thing. Reality on the ground is usually very different. On September 27, 2006, the head of the Shin Bet, which is the Israeli Secret Service, the head of the Shin Bet named Yuval Diskin, stated that within just a couple months of Israel's disengagement, almost 19 tons of standard explosives were smuggled from Egypt to the Gaza Strip. And here I quote the head of the Shin Bet report when he said, The Egyptians know who the smugglers are and do not take care of resolving the issue. They have also received intelligence on this matter from us, the Israeli intelligence. Hundreds of rifles and machine guns have been smuggled into Gaza, as well as bullets and other types of weapons and ammunition. The head of Shin Bet re-emphasized that the amount of smuggling is growing every month and that, I quote, the Egyptians know about this and are not doing what it is required of them. He finished his report by saying, we must take action against this. So let's talk a little bit about the Egyptians and their reaction. In 2007, Hamas took over the Gaza Strip by force. It took over the Philadelphia Road from the Gazan side. In response, Israel and Egypt decided to impose a blockade on the Strip. The lax supervision by Egypt resulted in Gazans crossing the road into Egypt territory to obtain food and other basic products 
while Hamas began its large-scale smuggling of arms and other military hardware. The local Egyptian Bedouin population living in the Sinai Desert was thrilled. To them, this became a lucrative source of income. It was also lucrative for Egyptian security personnel who turned a blind eye to the smuggling, placing lots of cash into their pockets. Under pressure from Israel, the former president of Egypt, Hosni Mubarak, decided to tighten the supervision of the Philadelphia Road, making it difficult for the Gazans, the smugglers, to cross into Egyptian territory. So the smugglers, not willing to give up on their successful business enterprise, found a solution and began to dig hundreds of smuggling tunnels under the road. The tunnels, in the hundreds once again, were different types and sizes depending on what was being smuggled. Anything and everything was smuggled, as I said before, from food products to vehicles of all types. Here too, certain Egyptians in Gazan, military personnel and merchants, profited greatly. The fall of Husni Mubarak's regime and the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood to power in Egypt led to a boom in activity in the Philadelphia Road. The passage to Gazans through the Rafa crossing became easier and the tunnel smuggling industry flourished. The Muslim Brotherhood regime in Egypt didn't last long, only about one year. In 2014, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi came to power. I should say, took over power. El-Sisi, the enemy of the Muslim Brotherhood, understood the toll of the smuggling was taken also on Egypt and brought about a change in policy. Now look, at this time, ISIS, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, took root in the Sinai Desert in Egypt, fighting the Egyptian army with the goal of taking Egypt over altogether. The smuggling started going in two directions, into Gaza, but also from Gaza to ISIS. The Egyptian army began operations to build obstacle and destroy the tunnels. The Egyptians, with the help of Israel, were able to crush ISIS in the Sinai Desert. The Egyptians then claimed that it destroyed most of the tunnels and that the smuggling activity through the Philadelphia Road was decreased to a minimum. In recent years, an Egyptian military operation designed to eradicate ISIS, along with an underground wall that Egypt has built over the border, was supposed to have limited the use of their tunnels, but according to Israeli official, Egypt is not completely preventing weapons from being brought into Gaza, including those that Israel claims arrive on top of vehicles through the official border crossing in Rafah. Also, Hamas just dug deeper under the wall the Egyptians were building. Look, the truth of the matter is this. As soon as ISIS was no longer a threat to Egypt, Egypt became lax again. The quote-unquote commerce continued full force into Gaza. Egypt still claims that there isn't a real issue with smuggling into Gaza. At least they say that in public. Reality proves very much differently. There are many reports, mainly from the Palestinian side, that Egyptian officers collected thousands of dollars in bribes from those who wanted to cross from the Gaza Strip to enter Egypt and were not able to in the official lists. Hamas gave many bribes to Egyptian officers in order to smoothly run their smuggling enterprise. Also, unknown to much of the public, even unknown to many Israelis, Egypt opened an additional border crossing in February of 2018. It is called Sha'ar Saladin, the Saladin's Gate. This crossing was established four kilometers northwest of Rafah. In the past, it was used as a humanitarian crossing point, but not as a commercial crossing. And if you believe that, and you probably also believe in a tooth fairy, the opening of the crossing was coordinated and given to Hamas as a sort of reward after Hamas pledged to Egypt to sever its ties with the leftover ISIS terrorists in the Sinai Desert. According to data published by Hamas itself, in the first half of 2019 alone, the rate of entry through Saladin was about 6,000 tons of cement per month 
and 6 million liters of diesel fuel per month. The flourishing of Saudi gates served the interests of Egypt and Hamas. According to estimates, Hamas' income from taxing the goods in the Saladin Passage amounted to hundreds of millions of dollars every year. So, in other words, the Egyptians bought off Hamas at the expense of, you guessed it, Israel. Nothing new under the Middle Eastern sun. The horrors of October 7 proves that Israel's reliance on the Egyptians to secure the border and prevent smuggling from their side failed miserably. It is very clear to Israel and Israelis, as I started out with, that Israel must rely on itself. To do that, Israel must take over the Philadelphia Road. But Egypt isn't willing to admit their failure or give in. Towards the end of January 2024, the head of the Egyptian Information Service, named Dia Rashvan, made blunt and clear statements that Israel is taking over the Philadelphia Road could endanger the relations between the countries. His exact words were, and I quote, Ridiculous accusations, Israel lies are intended to legitimize the occupation of the Philadelphia Road in violation of international agreement. He then added, Any Israeli move in this direction will lead to a serious threat to Israel-Egyptian relations. The Egyptians are literally threatening Israel with breaking the peace agreement. As an Israeli, this is no less than infuriating. The Egyptians support their claim based on the 1979 peace agreement between the countries, which imposes limits on the number of soldiers each country is allowed to keep near the border. Israel attempts to alleviate these concerns by quoting plans with the Egyptians have met very little success. In recent days, Egypt rejected an Israeli proposal that included placing Egyptian security personnel at the border who would conduct joint patrols with Israeli soldiers. Egypt has told Israel that it is strengthening the barrier on its side of the border and building more observation towers and security cameras, but they're not willing to share the security camera feed with Israel. Does anyone believe the Egyptians that anything will change? Not me for one, or any other Israeli with any common sense. And so now I'll contradict myself a little bit because at the end of the day, we are in the Middle East. Although Israel's disappointment from Egypt, the two countries actually share a series of common interests. And these include, again, several. First, the weakening of Hamas for Egypt, the destruction of Hamas for Israel, is necessary. Second, demilitarization of the Gaza Strip is an interest of both countries. Third, establishing a stable government in the Gaza Strip and preventing chaos that could once again become a base for exporting terrorism to Israel and Egypt is a common interest. Four, positioning Egypt as a main mediator and a key player in stabilizing the future reality in the Gaza Strip is again a common interest of the two countries. Five, curbing the power of the radical resistance axis, right? Those are the Muslim Brotherhood. In the Middle East, that is to say, curbing the power of the Muslim Brotherhood in general, again, is a common interest of the two countries. And six, strengthening the regional trends of peace, stability, and development is again a common interest. Another common interest for both countries is leveraging the circumstances created by this war to improve Egypt's economic situation and increase its stability. In the last year and a half, the Egyptian pound has lost about half its value against the dollar. The inflation rate has broken records and more than half of the country's population is close to or below the poverty line. Egypt is in a very deep debt crisis. According to data from the Central Bank of Egypt, Egypt's external debt is about $165 billion, which is about 95% of their gross domestic product. 
If Egypt wants the help it is so desperately needs, we Israel must convince them with the help of the United States and even the Europeans, and there's no need to say this publicly, that they must cooperate fully with blocking all future smugglings in the Gaza via Rafah or the Philadelphia Road or anything otherwise. So back to Israel's demands and Israel's needs. Israeli officials have stated that Israel does not want to be responsible for Gaza in the long term. But the question is how do you ensure that Gaza remains demilitarized? It's a real dilemma. The only way to control a geographic area is to control what goes in and out of that area, at least in the short term. In the coming decades, Israel needs to control the borders because of the security issue. Some Israeli officials and experts say that ending Palestinian control of the Rafah border is an essential part of Israel's vision for the future in Gaza, in which an unarmed Palestinian entity with limited forces will replace Hamas and assume responsibility for the civilian affairs in the Gaza Strip. Israeli control of the Philadelphia Road would actually cut off the Gaza Strip from its land connection with Egypt and the entire Arab world, and that would allow a demilitarization of that entire area. So I'll end with what I started. Israelis know, military experts, Israeli political leaders, and Israeli society, that the most important component of eliminating Hamas's power involves the road on the border between Gaza and Egypt, the road that is called the Philadelphia Road. And again, I'll emphasize it's more important than even taking out the tunnels that are inside Gaza. Eliminating Hamas's power politically and militarily will only take place once we, Israel, take over the Philadelphia Road and the border crossing with Egypt. Thank you for listening. Please share this and other episodes. This episode and all others can be listened to on all podcast media sources, such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and more. It is also possible to listen on InsideIsrael.fm. The Inside Israel podcast would love your support. If willing, please log into InsideIsrael.fm and click on the Support Us button.